Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 275 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Saturday, January 30th, 2021. It is about to be February, which is the birth month of Coach K, and we are in a good mood today because the Duke Blue Devils just knocked off the Clemson Tigers. It was a raucous affair at Cameron Indoor Stadium, despite the fact that there were no fans there. Duke won by 26 Jason Evans said in our text thread among the DBR podcast hosts that it was a 26-point victory and it wasn't even that close. Duke was up by double on Clemson with 11 minutes left in the game and basically just cruised to the finish line. Mike Buckmeyer made a basket at the end of the game, which we haven't seen a ton of this year. It was basically an early 2000s Duke-Clemson game. Hey, We are going to talk about it. I've got a term for that. Clemson got Buckmeyered. There you go. Clemson got Clemson got buckmired this afternoon, and we were so excited about the win that we had to record right after. No, it's because uh, we have we have other things to attend to. So this is just the time this weekend when we get to record. Guys, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I'm Sam Klein. I'm the host for this show. I am joined as always by Donald Wine. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing good. We had a great victory, and I didn't want to stop you. You never stop someone when they're on a heater at the table. So go keep going. I, I'm I'm rolling. And by the way. Speaking of heaters, I haven't even mentioned the the new poster that Jalen Johnson released uh, about an hour and a half ago, which oh, we'll was talk about amazing. It. Oh, we'll talk about it. Jason PJ Evans Hall's is dead. also here. Hey, PJ Hall is dead. I th- there's an obit for him Poor out PJ there someplace. Woo! What was he mm. doing? What was that? Wait, mm. okay, let, let's let's get into this. What was PJ Hall doing trying to block that shot? <laughs> Yo, no, no, no. I said this. On, I will say this again. We, we talked about Jay Huff a couple years ago when, when his obituary was written. You have to retire. If you're going to jump with somebody and you don't make it, if you get to the fifth floor and, and the guy who's dunking goes to the seventh, you have to retire. That's, the, that's in the rules of basketball. P.J. Hall, I don't know where you are right now. I, I don't know if you've made your announcement yet, but I look forward to seeing what you do in the next stage of your career because Yo, that's PJ- retirement. PJ Hall made it to the second floor and Jalen Johnson went to the seventh. <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> When, when, fine, are we, are we just going to talk about the Jalen Johnson? Let's, let's just, do just the Jalen Johnson let's dunk let's before we get to anything else. When, when Jalen Johnson stole the ball, so there was a point in the first half, make sure everybody knows, in case you didn't watch this game for some reason, which you should go back and watch if you're a Duke fan. This was the, this yeah. was the best game of the season so I mean, far. And the first half, the first half for Duke was Duke's best half so far this year. Jalen Johnson got a steal on the perimeter uh, but he was kind of like towards the like towards the, the bench, not the baseline, towards the towards the bench area, towards the, yeah. the end line or the the sideline. And when he stole the ball, he basically had a, a clear shot to the basket. So he he picked the ball up and he was dribbling down and he was gonna get the breakaway dunk. PJ Hall for Clemson was kind of at the top of the key, so he actually had a a faster uh, a faster drive to the opposing hoop, so that he was there in time to contest Jalen Johnson. The problem is he does not have the ability to contest a full speed ahead Jalen Johnson, which is no. exactly what happened. No, he does not. Anybody, I don't think anybody on the floor did. I don't think anyone on our team would have had the ability to stop him like that. I don't think anyone south of, I mean, like LeBron James, you know, we there's a list of guys and it's like- There are not than, a lot of guys in college that can stop full speed ahead Jalen Johnson from completing a dunk. Yeah, he's, there's like he a, is a big, strong guy on on a play like that where you're basically even with the guy. Uh, there's you know there may be 
15, 20 guys in the world who sort of have the quickness, athleticism, and and skill to stop him and that reach because you have to you have to get your you have to get your hand to the ball. Like yeah, just yeah. getting your hand to the ball with Jalen Johnson is tough. Doing it in transition with Jalen Johnson running downhill, not going to happen. MVP though, MVP is everyone else on the Duke team on the floor who grabbed him because he had the stink face and he was he was starting to flex on PJ Hall while he was on the ground. It and actually everybody was like whoa 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 flex over here flex over it here. It got kind of scary. I, I was <laughs> I was worried that there was a fight about to break out because I was in the apart in my own apartment making the stink face just to nobody in particular he was so, just, he was just paying his last respects that, that that's fair but co- you know referees don't really like that in today's game all right so give me your headline each of you from this game i know this is how we normally do things i need a headline from this game jason i'll come to you first uh I, you know it, it's it's what i said to you my headline uh, we've already said it but i'll say it again duke wins by 26 and it wasn't that close donald what do you have for me on a headline Duke declaws the Tigers in their best performance of the season. I had Jalen Johnson elevates Duke to thunderous victory in quiet Cameron. Ooh, I like that. There That's we go. Nice. So those You're are our, those are our headlines. I like those. Let, I, I I'm really trying. I think that I've got a I think that I've got a niche here in my in my headline crafting. We're gonna I'm gonna keep working on it though. We started with the good, and and, and by the way, in my notes, I have the first good item: Jalen Johnson's dunk. I think we've covered it. Let's do the rest of the good items. Donald, I'll come to you first. Give me some other good notes from this game. And, and by the way, we're going to highlight, I think, a couple guys here who we've either been neutral or kind of down on in recent weeks, which I am very excited about. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm going to start with Mark Williams because Mark Williams was active early. He set the tone early throughout the game on both offense and defense. Just, I mean, came out. He had a couple of bunnies himself. He had a couple of posters. That is what you want to see. And and we've talked about how he's kind of progressed over the last week or so. And the coaching staff has said that he's really come in and worked hard and come in early and gotten shots up and tried to do the things to improve. And you've seen that on the court. You've seen the confidence that he's gaining every single possession that he's on the court, which is fantastic to see. So shout out to Mark Williams. Uh, This game and the Georgia Tech game, electric. And he really set the tone for us this week. Yeah, let, let me let me continue on Mark Williams because I, I agree he was outstanding in both those games. Um, you know, Sam, you say your first note on this game was Jalen Johnson's dunk, um, and that was my first note as well. But my second note was Mark Williams is again a difference maker. Uh, it is it's really impressive the way the game changes when he's on the floor. Duke looks to do different things when he's on the floor. The opposition is concerned about coming in the lane when he's on the floor. And and in the post-game news conference, they talked a lot about Mark Williams. DJ DJ Stewart and Mark Williams were the two Duke players in the post-game news conference. And DJ talked about how much Mark has been working with Nate James. DJ said Mark's a really easy target. You just toss the ball up and he can get it. He said it makes life easier on the guards, which is something I hadn't thought about. And, and you know, I think that's a that's a big deal. Um, and and Mark talked about, by the way, Nate James's name was brought up as much as anybody on the postgame news conference because everyone kept on praising Nate for the work he's done with Mark Williams. Mark said that Nate, that they work on angles, they work on his footwork. And and Coach K pointed out that Patrick Tepay. Keenan Worthington and Henry Coleman deserve credit as well. He said they've been the guys working with Nate and Mark Williams. 
and that, you know, that Mark gets in there and these are the guys who body against him. And what Coach K said was, Mark is finally learning about the physicality of the game at this level. He's understanding how to use his body, how to use his strength and his length in a physical kind of way, not fouling. Coach K was very clear. The key is learning how to be physical while not fouling. And Coach K also pointed out the truly impressive thing about what Mark Williams did this week. He did it against Moses Wright and Amir Sims who are two big men who like to play away from the basket. They try to draw you out. I mean, that's part of what they were trying to do to Mark Williams. So, and, and, and they are two very experienced. They're both seniors, very smart big men. Coach K said, you know, for Mark Williams to be able to do what he did this week against those kind of big men, it, it, it is a glimpse at perhaps really big stuff for him. Last thing I got on Mark Williams, guys, I got to have, I have to ask you all. I, I'm, I'm this week, Duke's three best players, were Mark Williams, Jalen Johnson, and Matthew Hurt. I, I think that's absolutely the case. Is there any way we can, can we find a way to get those three guys on the floor at the same time? I'm not sure we can. I'm not necessarily advocating for it, but those are our three best players right now, the guys who are impacting the game the most. Is there a way, you know, J Jalen can maybe get out in the wing? I'm, I'm just wondering. And, and I'm also wondering about, uh, you know, it, it's a team that would have trouble spacing. Can you imagine how big Duke could go? They played those three guys along with like Wendell Moore and Jordan Goldwire. Like Jordan Goldwire at 6'5 would be far and away the smallest guy on the floor. That would be just a scary, huge team. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that. We will talk about that during Miami, but I think there is a way that three those three guys can and should be on the court when we have a bigger lineup that we're facing. I was glad to see Mark Williams play so well in this game. He seemed more in control on offense than we have seen him yet this year. I think his, his defense has actually been pretty good consistently given that he is a seven footer freshman, which is just a, a tough place to be where, you know, it, it's, it's hard to like have real body control at that size and at that age, but he's been, he's been very strong on the defensive end this year. I was impressed with how in control he was on offense, being able to corral the ball. Jason, you talked about how DJ Stewart said that Mark Williams presents a big target. And it, it does make it like Duke has an enormous safety valve when guys like Stewart and Roach are driving the lane and they, or even Jalen Johnson, and they can toss it up to Mark Williams and he's probably going to be there. I'm glad that he's, that he's given the team like 15 minutes a game that are really strong because I, I actually kind of enjoy that there's a completely different angle to this team when he comes in. Now, would I like it if he was a 30 minute a game guy who was just dunking on everybody all the time, of course, but where he's at right now in his development, I think is cool. And, and I am also excited about the potential to see him more and to see that bigger lineup um, going forward. And I and, wanted, and by the way, and, and Mark Williams really looking for his shot. I think that's something that's different about him now from where he was a few weeks ago. Uh, when he gets the ball down low, he knows I'm going to be able to figure out a way to get up a pretty good shot here. And he's playing through contact. He had three point play at one point today. It, it's night and day from where he was like back in December. And he doesn't automatically go for a dribble when he gets the ball in the post. I, I think he's, he's now been programmed yes. to, to when he gets the ball up in the air, he's trying to turn around and put it in the basket immediately. And, and which is great keeping his head up and, and going for the rim as opposed to like having to corral the ball, center himself, you know, do the, the kind of like uh, early half of your career Plumley brother move where it's like, I got the ball. Now I'm going to dribble it once. <laughs> now I'm going to turn it around. No, you go right to the basket, Mason Plumley senior year style. That's what I want to see from all these big men. I want to move on, though, and talk about Duke's passing and assists from this game, which 
which I was so excited to see. We've talked the last couple of weeks about how, look, Duke is just not moving the ball around enough. They're not getting guys the ball in, in spaces where they can easily turn a pass into a basket. And we know that it's more efficient for you to be finding good spots on the floor to, to get the ball up and, and, having, and moving without the ball as opposed to guys having to take the ball off the bounce. Duke does not have players on this team this year that are really skilled in that regard. But we saw Duke assist 20 shots today on 28 made baskets. That's the kind of, of, of ball movement and, and assist ratio that I want to see. Donald, tell me about, about your thoughts on, on Duke's ability to assist on shots today. Well, just like what Jason said earlier, you know, the, the score was 20, a 26 point victory and it could have been a lot worse. This could have been a lot worse. We could have had maybe 30 or 35 assists if, you know, a lot of the baskets that we did pass make passes on went in or we didn't get fouled. So that was great to see. They It seems like they've been working on that and specifically honing in on the fact that they can get into good positions by passing the ball around the perimeter and passing the ball throughout the court. So that is awesome. But also what's even more awesome is we only had nine turnovers. So 20 to nine, it's just a turnover issue. I know, Sam, that's your number. Like, that's a great number. You want to have that number. In fact, Love like that. I said, it could have been more, it could have been more skewed towards assists if we had made some of the baskets or not get fouled in some easy, easy layups and stuff. So great, great, great ball movement that we saw. And that's, you know, that's why they were able to get out to such a great lead and stick with it not just on the offensive end, I want to actually move to the defensive end. And, and Jason, I'll, I'll pose the question to you. We talked before the game about how good Amir Sims is, but about how deep Clemson is. Amir Sims kind of, he kind of had his night, 19 points on 13 shots. Like that's, that's a pretty good game for basically anybody. But otherwise, Duke was able to shut Clemson down on defense, right? Oh yeah. Um, look, Clemson shoots 35% in this game. They're only 23% from three. Uh, it was yet another game where Duke got by without fouling. Part of our good news in this game, you know, lost at, at the passing. The ball movement was great. Obviously, we had a number of guys have really, really nice games um, on both ends of the floor. But as a team, once again, Duke hits, uh, you know, Duke got 17 free throws, made 13 of them. Clemson only shot 11 free throws. Uh, and that is, it, it is really like, you know, in the wake of the loss to Louisville, that Duke said, okay, we're going to become a completely different team um, because they're playing so differently than they did in those three losses. Rebounds is another place. We were getting hurt on the boards earlier in this season. Here, here's a Clemson team that's a pretty good rebounding team. We beat them 40 to 34 on the boards. I mean, there, there isn't a, look, obviously you win by 26 points. There isn't going to be a si single statistical category where you don't have a really good game, but it is just really, it's so encouraging to see this team progressing in the way that it is not a lot of turnovers, not a lot of fouls. Um, you know, we still, we still managed to get seven steals from Clemson. Uh, you know, I thought it was, a, it was an excellent defensive game from Duke. Although, you know, let's, let's be honest, Clemson was terrible. They take bad shots. They had a number of really awful turnovers. I mean, at one point, they had a backcourt violation where they just tossed it to a guy who was still in the backcourt. They had a couple of balls that they just threw away out of bounds. Clemson was dreadfully bad in this game, but... The good thing for Duke is we took advantage of those mistakes. We took advantage of Clemson not executing well, and we executed well on our own. That's, that's the mark of this team maturing. This team getting better is the fact that we are able to take our opponent's mistakes and turn them into positives for us, not continuing making mistakes ourselves. It took almost 
13 minutes for Clemson to get to 10 points. 13 minutes, 10 points, do the math there. That's less than a point per minute. But also the fact that we've talked about the fact we don't get a lot of good starts. We had a very strong start. It wasn't one where we went out and scored 20 points immediately, but we simply just from the start, just steadily crept to a point where we said, okay, now take the game over. And in the blink of an eye, it was a 30 point you know, lead and we were running away with it. So the strong starts at both ends of the half, the, the first half, as, as Sam mentioned, the best that we've had this year, we used that momentum and, we created energy where there was no energy in Cameron. Like I really wish that there was 93 14 in the building when Jalen Johnson yammed that dude, because first of all, there would have been a call for retirement immediately. They would have had a ceremony and then they would have needed to do some reinforcements to the foundation because that would have set the world on fire, but creating that energy led to a strong start and led them to go all the way through to the finish. You know, guys, really quick. I forgot to mention it earlier. Uh, there was, you know, it's not often this happens in a game. There was a moment where I, I said, and this was in the, in the first half. It was a moment where I said, the game's over. Um, don't have that happen very often in, in the first half. And, and it was a Mark Williams moment. It was the, the play with about a minute and a half left in the first half where um, I forget who, someone for Duke had scored a basket and we were, we were taking a three-point, it was a three-point play. And the rebound came off on the free throw. And Mark Williams, because he is so long and so athletic, was able to tip the rebound out. And Duke ended up getting, I believe it was a Wendell Moore three-pointer um, that, that went down. It turned into a five-point possession. Uh, and and I, I, I took a note to myself and I said, game over right here. I think it was like Duke stretched it out from like 12 or 14 to like 18 or 19 or 20 or something at that point. Uh, which is a pretty much game over kind of moment, but it was a, it was yet another of these Mark Williams moments where, where, you know, his length allowed him to do something that no one else on the floor is, is able to do. To wrap up the good news section here. I want to give it back to you, Jason, just to say a few words about Jeremy Roach, who I think after we, we've been dogging on him the last couple of weeks and it feels like he has really emerged in this game. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll freely admit that I was super down on Jeremy Roach after the past couple of games. Um, I was the guy in the last podcast, and I, I was even trying to measure my words a little bit and you know, not be too harsh on the kid because he's young and he's developing. He's trying to figure it out. Um, you know, A really outstanding bounce back game for him. 12 points, three assists, only one turnover, um, and, and confidence was what I saw. That was the important thing for me. He, he hit a three-pointer and then late in the game, later in the game, you know, probably about the seven or eight minute mark left in the second half, he had a play where he, he like, he took a pull-up three, like with a guy almost in his face that he, that he drained. That was a confident shot. And to be able to maintain your confidence when you're struggling the way he has lately it is a sign of maturity. We keep on, I keep on coming back to this. Coach K keeps coming back to it when he gets to the post-game news conferences. It's so important for this young team to find maturity and find ways of playing through young mistakes. For Jeremy Roach to have the kind of game he did, confidently going to the basket, under control, playing good defense, better defense than we've seen from him lately, and hitting a couple outside shots really so important for his growth as we move forward. He's a key player for Duke. He's, you know, if, no matter where that rotation goes, if we get down to seven or eight guys and it feels like Coach K is leaning a little bit more and more in that direction, he's part of that rotation, I think. And uh, I, I was thrilled to have a bounce back like this for him. Yeah, I want that lineup uh, consolidation to be harder for Coach K, not easier. And 
And I, and I want Jeremy Roach to be one of the guys that's consistently in the mix for the lineup. Guys, before we move on from the Clemson game, I do want to make sure that we, that we eat our veggies, so to say, and, and get to the bad news. So to the extent that there's bad news from a game where Duke wins by 26 and is more dominant than that, Donald, tell me what, what you think was lacking from Duke today. Well, this seems very nitpicky. Uh, just the really one thing that stood out to me is that Wendell Moore's shooting efficiency still eludes him. And I think he had a very much improved game from the last couple of games. But there's times where it seems like he's just not getting the ball in the right position to make a good shot. He had a couple of great shot open looks that didn't go down. We still are, you know, lacking in that department. Hitting some more of those open jumpers will make, you know, today would have made a 26-point victory, a 50-point blowout. But I do think those are little, again, nitpicky things that we can work on to improve and not say that, hey, this was a complete perfect game because it wasn't. We can take that and say, all right, let's see if we can – make this more efficient and get him into better positions that he can be more efficient with his offense because him being a consistent scorer is really going to help us down the road. This is a great start and we'd see if we can build on it. I mean, my, my nitpicky somewhat similarly, uh, you know, Duke only hits 32% of their threes in this game. We, again, we're missing some, some open ones. Donald already talked about that. We're still waiting for the game where Duke is, you know, hitting 40 plus percent of their threes and, and, it's going to happen at some point. I feel like it's got to happen at some point. I also thought there were times, especially in the first half, in the first, uh, you know, eight, maybe 10 minutes of the game, Duke's shot selection wasn't great. Um, we, we still, we take a few too many, um, you know, long, somewhat contested two-point jumpers. Uh, the the, the, the two-point mid-range shot is not a shot that a lot of players in basketball are supposed to take. It's just not, it's the least efficient thing you can do on the floor. It's the Cal Singler too. It, I mean, we take yeah. a lot of those where he was great at it, but very few people are. And when you look at this, the, the, the metrics, the metrics tell you don't shoot the long two, either shoot a, a short two or a, or a three pointer. And he was dominant at that, but we can't all be Kyle Singler. No, no. And uh, the only guy in Duke who I'm comfortable taking those shots is Matthew Hurt. And he hit one or two of them. Um, Hurt, by the way, did not have, you know, as impactful a game as he sometimes does. Not a big deal. We didn't really need it from him. 13 points, four rebounds. Um, arguably, statistically, this may have been Matthew Hurt's worst game of the season. But who cares? I mean, we're, we, we got like, you know, we got five guys in double figures. We had another guy uh, with nine points, you know, Jalen Johnson, just on the cusp of having um, another guy in double figures. We didn't need Matthew Hurt to have a big game. I think had we needed him, he, he would have been able to step up and do it. I, you know, but we're, we're, our veggies are a little, little tiny point on the plate in this game. You know, you barely notice them. They're going down in one easy bite. Let's put it. Yeah. This way. is a, this is a Brazilian steakhouse type of meal for blue devil fans where Ooh, you I might have, you might have vegetables, but I like Brazilian they, steakhouse. They, they brought it out in the middle of, of you eating three different cuts of steak. The um, picanha, yeah, the picanha. That, that yeah, is right. That is shut it down. Bomb. Yeah, don't yeah. don't man, get, miss, we, we we don't have enough time. Don't talk about picanha. We, we don't have. Enough time. I miss I miss going to restaurants, man. It, I, I I walked by a Fogo de Chao the other day, and oh. I was like, and I saw somebody coming out with takeout, and I was like, I don't know what the point is of no, that. Doesn't work. Uh, you know. By it. the way, Fogo. The, the the key with Fogo is if I can walk out of there and not feel ill, like if I walk out of there and I don't feel sick, it's a success. Cause usually when I walk out, I'm like, oh my God, I ate too much an hour ago. <laughs> oh, so, so you did it wrong because you walked out. 
If, if you're yeah, not roll me out, out. That joint. roll me yeah, out. If you're not rolled out, no, it's not. It just they have the little gurney, not the gurneys, but like the little chairs, not like a wheelchair, but it's just a chair with wheels. Just put me on that because honestly, the takeout experience doesn't compare because I can't put 18 pounds of meat into a takeout box. It just doesn't work. Hey, we we could be sponsored by Foga. If Foga wants to give us, we will we will take Foga as a sponsorship <laughs> for for the DBR podcast. <laughs> All right, I, I think that's that's plenty on the uh, on the meditarian front. I don't want to offend uh, any of our listeners who might be vegetarians out there. So we are going to move on from this game as Duke needs to do uh, rather soon because they have Miami coming up this week. We are going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we are going to preview that. Lucky for us, we have a Miami expert who is a member of the podcast host program here. So stick around. All right, Duke fans, welcome back. And as I said before the break, we are going to break down Duke's game against Miami this week, which just as always, we hope is going to happen, but there are no guarantees in the year or years of coronavirus. And I want to begin our preview by just handing the floor to Donald Wine, who, in addition to being an alumnus of Duke University, is also an alumnus of the University of Miami. He graduated from the law school there. And as we know from years on the show, is still a pretty big Miami fan. So he's been watching Miami basketball as he does every year. Donald, I give you the floor. Tell us what we're going to see this week when Duke plays the Hurricanes. Well, first off, the hope for Miami is that they have more than six scholarship players because they have been riddled with injuries all season long, including to some of their most important players. I'll get into that in a second. Because of these injuries, they haven't had a great season. They're six and nine, two and eight in the ACC I mean, they've even lost to Florida Gulf Coast. You may know them as Dunk City, uh, but they are not the Dunk City team that you know destroyed people in the NCAA tournament a few years back. Their biggest wins right now are against North Florida, Stetson, Purdue, Jacksonville, North, NC State, and Louisville. And they just even had even more bad news because freshman Matt Cross, who started nine games, was was one of those guys who was great from three-point land, was around the you know, middle of the pack as one of the leaders in points and rebounds. He just left the team on Thursday. There was no reason given. He didn't play against Florida State, which left them with only nine players. They've been murdered by the injury bug, most especially to their heart and soul, Chris Likes, who's a senior. He's 5'7". He's just a dynamo, but he can fill up the basket whenever he is actually in the game. He's only played two games this year. Cameron McGusty, Earl Timberlake, Willie Harrington, Rodney Miller, and Filippo Gose is one of those guys. These guys have all been on extended periods. And yeah, because they have had all these injuries, they haven't had a full roster to really work with here. And that's kind of why they're being, they're very inconsistent from the floor. They're very consistent and they don't know who to rely on. There is one guy they can rely on. And that is Isaiah Wong. He has been the leader so far this year in Chris Likes absence. Cameron Mogusti, as I mentioned, is back playing again. This is a guy that they will count on to score as well. But really Isaiah Wong has been the one that has been leading them all season. I will say about this team, there's a couple things to know. One, they are terrible from behind the arc. They shoot 27% from three. They average 18 attempts per game, which is around one-third of the shots that they take. They do make 51% of their two-pointers, which makes sense because they want to use a lot of size. They have a lot of size. They're one of the tallest guys or tallest teams in Division I basketball, skewed by the fact that Chris likes his 5'7 and is not playing. So 
Mark Williams, Jalen Johnson, Matthew Hurt stepped right up. You guys are going to be the key in shutting down the inside guys and throwing your weight around and make sure that they are altered on offense. They don't move the ball around particularly well either. They like to dribble drive. They like to inbound it to a big man and watch them work. They will work hard on the glass, on the offensive and defensive end. They're very good because of their size and getting a lot of shots because they get a lot of second chance shots. They're a pretty good offensive rebounding team in that regard. But on the perimeter, our guys need to make everyone tired because the depth issues that they have are on the perimeter. If Isaiah Wong is able to is getting out of the game because of foul trouble or because he's tired, they don't have a lot of depth left on the guard side. So no one else they can truly count on is really there to consistently make baskets. They have a couple of guys that will make a couple of things here and there, but no one has been consistent this year. And that's really been Miami's downfall. So inside go, go hard, make sure these guys are, are spaced out so that they're not getting second chance points. And on the perimeter, tire them out. That zone that we see doesn't necessarily, we're not going to see that much of it maybe because of the fact they can't shoot well from outside. But I do think man to man tiring those guys out will leave them in a lurch because they don't have a bench. Their bench on, on the other night against Florida state was three guys. So if people get tired, they're just going to have to go all game. Meanwhile, we can rotate big men in. We can rotate guards in. Wendell Moore, this will be a good chance for him to see if this consistency, this improvement that he's doing is going to be great because he's going to be an X factor that I don't think Miami can handle. Jason, in a normal year, we'd be looking at the schedule right now and saying, all right, Duke's got this game against Miami this week, but we're really gearing up for UNC. And, you know, UNC game, the first UNC game is next weekend. It's amazing that we're already here in the season, given how few games Duke has played this year. Maybe this year the, the thought is different and, and the Blue Devils are a little less distracted by kind of everything else because they're just so focused on basketball right now. But in the event that they are somehow looking ahead to UNC, what is it about this game against Miami that should uh, give the Blue Devils, like, what should make them nervous about playing a Miami team this year that, as Donald points out, really has just been decimated by injuries and has been nothing like recent vintages of Jim Laranega's squad? I mean, look, this is the ACC, and an ACS, ACC opponent can, can, you know, can always rise up and beat anybody. There, there's some results this year in the ACC that just have you scratching your head. But, you know, a lot of what Donald said is pretty accurate. Uh, in, in terms of where Miami struggles, they're, they're a terrible three. I mean, he pointed it out 27%, 26.9% from three. They're 339th in the country, 339th. They're only like 350 teams in the country at three point percentage. Uh, they give up a lot of steals. They're 316th in, uh, you know, in, in terms of steal percentage, giving up steals on offense. So on offense, they can't shoot from the outside. They don't hold on the ball very well. And on defense, they, they give up a lot of threes uh, that, you know, they, they allow their opponents to hit almost 37% of their threes, which is a, a big number. I mean, Duke, we've talked about it a lot. Duke has struggled shooting the, from the perimeter, but Miami is a team to, where you can get healthy about the, the only thing Miami does really well um, uh, on, on defense is they're really good at not fouling. And I mean, they're really good at not fouling. They do not get in foul trouble at all. Uh, they're top five in the nation, actually third in the nation at free throw attempts given up versus field goal attempts given up. So don't count on them fouling you very much, but uh, this is a team that's just, uh, they struggle so much on the perimeter. I, uh, missing Chris likes is so huge for them that, you know, I, you don't want to predict anything where 
you're too overconfident. I hope Duke isn't looking ahead to UNC because you can't afford to do that in the ACC. But we've got, you know, we've got a week with two very impressive wins. I'll be very, very surprised if there isn't a third one under our belt as we head into the Carolina game. This Miami team just, it doesn't feel like they have the personnel to be able to compete with Duke right now. Yeah, I, I think both of you guys covered this pretty well, which is that Miami is really struggling this year. They have, they're on a three-game losing streak right now and are currently losing to Wake Forest as we speak. It's about halfway through the second half right now, so we're not going to actually see the end of this game before the um, before the show completes. And, but and look, my, Miami and Wake appear to be the two worst teams in the ACC. Right exactly. Now. So yeah. even, if, even if they were to come back and pull it off, it's not like – it's not like beating Wake Forest is, is an enormous accomplishment this year. So I, I agree. This is another opportunity for Duke to steal what's hopefully an easy win and kind of feel like they're back in the groove before they play a Carolina team that is also not in their best shape. Um, but, but you want Duke to kind of get rolling here. We talked about how this is probably the softest part of Duke's schedule, and, and they need to rack up some wins before they play a few more of those top teams because, again, we really don't know if the ACC is going to turn around and say, all right, like Duke of Florida state time to play your game this week. That theoretically could happen at any time. So the blue devils need to rack up the wins, bring the confidence up, have guys like Mark Williams and Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach feel like they're, they're really well integrated into this team so that, so that when the, the tough teams come to town, Duke is ready for them. Donald, give me a, a final idea or, or thought on Miami before we wrap it up with player of the week nominations. Well, just like we did today, take them out of the game early. Their, their morale can get shattered very quickly because like I said, their heart and soul is not in the lineup. And whenever things go wrong, because they've been going wrong quite a bit uh, throughout this season for them, they, they fold. And it's not necessarily to say that they, they quit, but they, they're, they're a team that's never going to quit but they're a team that gets morale busted very quickly because they are, uh, they're a team that's seen a lot of adversity throughout the season. So take them out of the game early. This is a game that, you know, we want some confidence too. We've only won once on the road this year. So let's go down there. Let's get after them quickly. Bring, uh, they may have some fans in the stands, so you may be able to feed off of that energy, but if not go after them anyway, take them out of the game real early. That way we can come back to Duke and prepare for UNC. So as we get to the kind of wrap up items here, we'll, we'll do our parting shots and then player of the week. Jason, I know you've got a parting shot. You wanted to say a couple words about John Chaney who passed this week, legendary basketball coach from Temple. Yeah. I just didn't want us to go through the podcast and not mention someone this significant to the college basketball world. Coach K when he did the postgame press conference today came out and, and virtually his entire opening statement was, was about how important, John Cheney was to him and to the sport of college basketball. Uh, he, he made a great point where he noted that, you know, John Cheney was like the best player in Philadelphia when, when he was young, when he was a young basketball player, he wasn't even allowed to play at a major program because of segregation back then. He played at Bethune Cookman and, and coach K was like, I'm not putting them down, but he's like, you know, Nowadays, this guy would have gone to a major program. Everyone would have heard about him and he would have had a pro career. That's how great of a basketball player John Chaney was. And he was an even better coach than he was uh, as a player. Um, coach K talked about the leadership that John Chaney provided to the entire coaching community. He said, especially in the 80s and 90s, like John Chaney and John Thompson and George Raveling were the, were the voices of conscience 
um, in the coaching community. The, you know, those three African-American leaders were, were the guys who made sure everyone else in the coaching community understood what was happening in their community. And, uh, and, and I think as Duke fans, we should feel, feel a special affinity for him. Um, Duke and Temple played some really significant games over the years. I'm thinking of in 1988, the, the grade eight game where Billy King shuts down Mark Macon um, and probably ruins John Cheney's best chance, his best hope at ever reaching a final four. Instead, Duke goes, we, we lose to Kansas and Danny Manning. But, but um, you know, that was one of those games. That was one of those teams that began to cement Coach K as, as a huge force in, in college basketball. Um, and, and then we played them for a chance at the Final Four again in 1999, uh, and, and we, we blew their doors off. That 99 Duke team, we've talked about them extensively, um, but, but Duke had, and we had a number of really important, really significant regular season games against Temple. Coach K and John Chaney faced each other a lot during their career. Coach K usually got the best of him, but there was absolute mutual respect. And as a Duke fan, I feel the loss of a real important, important part of college basketball history. Um, in losing um, John Cheney. Yeah, it's it's a huge loss for college basketball. One of the uh, premier coaches of, like you said, the 80s and 90s, and even, you know, dipping into the 2000s. You know, remember in 2001, the college basketball, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame inductee class uh, is John Cheney, Coach Krzyzewski, and Moses Malone. And, you know, so they had an affinity, even to the fact that, though, you know, they were linked in time by being inducted into the hall together and being together for those moments. He's, he shared a lot with him. He also talked about the uh, diversity initiatives and equity initiatives that they started back in, in 1989, 1990 uh, with the NABC that coach K and John Cheney grew an affinity for each other and friendship through that as well. So he, he, I mean, John Thompson, John Cheney, both passing in the last five months is just killer for, you know, just, the eighties and nineties, the, the, the basketball that you started that I grew up starting to believe in, like those coaches that were instrumental to the game. It, it's, it's a shame, but eight, you know, 89 years old, that man left a lot in his 89 years and, and we thank him for it. Guys. Thanks for, for those words about John Cheney. I, th I think it was important for us to talk about. I, I also wanted to uh, mention Hank Aaron. I, I'm not sure if we had mentioned him on, on previous episodes and obviously not a basketball player, but a monumental sports figure and someone who was, you know, a, a key figure in the discussion about, about civil rights in this country. So I don't want to speak too long about him, but as a baseball fan, uh, it was, it was an emotional week uh, it, with the passing of Hank Aaron. So hopefully you can go um, find some of the, the memorials that have been done for him across the sports landscape, a, a, a Titan in baseball, a Titan of, of sports and, and overcoming the, some unimaginable um, hatred that was directed at him when, when he was in the, in the midst of, of an incredible, one of the best baseball careers of all time. So wanted to, to wish rest in peace to, to Hank Aaron and to John Chaney. I think Hank Aaron transcends sports. So the fact that you, I think it's always appropriate to discuss Hank Aaron on this podcast or any other. So uh, thank you for bringing that up. Rest in peace to the hammer. I, I got a chance to, to meet Hank Aaron a few years ago. I was the executive producer of a, of a, of a television special that was being done on him, uh, a, a tribute that was being done here in Atlanta. And uh, such a gracious, humble man. Uh, you would talk to him. I spent, I spent some time talking to him about, about his career and what it was like coming up and, and fighting you know, some of the horrible, terrible hatred and racism that he faced 
um, not just when he was chasing Babe Ruth, but throughout his entire career in the minors and the such. And, and, and there's no bitterness in the man, uh, which, which was just amazing to me. Uh, a, a true, a, a giant, like Donald said, transcends sports in, in some very, very significant kind of ways. We are, we're a better society. We're a better world. We're a better country for guys like John Cheney and Hank Aaron and for what they've done to help all of us grow. And, and yeah, uh, to say we miss them doesn't cover it enough. All right, we will wrap this episode with our player of the week because it is the weekend. So we Duke has completed a much better week this week than there was last week. So we have more to, to celebrate than we normally do. So Jason, I'll give it to you first. Give me your player of the week for this week where Duke went 2-0. and How rare is it that my player of the week would be a guy who didn't even play 20 minutes in either of his games? Total of 27 minutes on the week, but there's no question in my mind, Mark Williams... Uh, we've, we've talked extensively about the impact he has on games when he's in there. Mark Williams is my player of the week. We've talked about him so much. I don't even need to go into it anymore. I, and, and I didn't even really have, I didn't think about it that much. Like to me, it was a no brainer that Mark Williams is player of the week. All right, Donald, who you got? Two for two, Mark Williams. I'm just damn proud of him. Simple as that. Oh man, if I had known, maybe I would have gone for him too. But I, I picked Jalen Johnson this week. I thought he had a very nice game against Georgia Tech. And then uh, he, he ended another guy's career uh, against Clemson. So that's, it's always a good week when that happens. That I did believe special significance. That, <laughs> yes. And I believe the week that, that Zion Williamson did that to Clemson, we gave him the, the player of the week nomination True. as well. And I think that was unanimous. So I'll by, keep by that, the way, that By going. the way, Jalen, Jalen's line. We haven't talked about it. Jalen's line against Clemson. Uh, folks, you ready for that? Nine points, eight rebounds, five assists, two steals, and one murder. I mean, that's a really impressive line. It's a very efficient day. Yes. No, not a not a double double, but but you know, long tail in the box score there. So you know, so you know, great it, work. You, you, you know, in Anchorman, I think Brick killed a man. Jalen Johnson killed a man today. And and so, and the ref said, "Yo." dude who got murdered i'm calling you for attempting to get murdered and it the fact that he murdered you we're just going to give him more points and one very mean mug jalen johnson gets a player of the week award from me and a very mean mug for himself so we will leave it there duke is playing miami this week as we talked about they've got unc next weekend guys duke plays unc next week like who's who's excited for that i am everyone else should be it's a it's a duke carolina game no one will be there but, but it's happening nonetheless. So we will preview that game later this week after the Miami game. Keep up with us as always, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email, ask us a question. Feel free to leave reviews for us anywhere that you leave reviews. We like them to be five stars. They don't have to be, but they really should be five stars. And we'll talk to you again this week. So for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I'm Sam Klein. This has been episode 275 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home. I was, before I start, 
uh, <laughs> Jess earlier was like, can, can you do the podcast intro for me really quick? Like, I was saying something. I was like, I was like watching the game and I had like my normal fan voice on. And she was like, that's not how you talk on the show. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, do the, do the podcast intro. And I go, hello, Duke fans. And welcome. To- <laughs> and she now, laughed, now she's right? laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right, here we go. Putting on your podcast voice. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> I, I, I bring it down like, like half an octave, I think when, when we, when we record, that's my, you gotta have the bass. I'm Sam Klein. Yeah, exactly. I like, I can sing tenor, but I, but I also, I prefer to, to be a baritone. <laughs> <laughs>